Hey, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Don't Out Kick Your Coverage at our company, thekickerzone.com. Today, I have a great guest I'm interviewing, Mr. Bernard Owens, and why I think he's another excellent speaker for our platform for the student athletes and their parents and his recent number one selling book. At Donut Kicker Coverage, we are the only podcast dedicated to the high school athlete and their parents who may not have a full understanding of the issues facing them today and soon as they try to get that elusive college athletic scholarship, which is shrinking more and more each national signing day due to the NCAA's sixth year of eligibility and the transfer portal that I believe has decreased from the old adage of the only 2% get college athletic scholarships to now, in my own recent data calculations, is down to about 1.3% in just the last four years alone. And yes, I do cover many of these issues in my number one best-selling book, College Athletic Scholarships, The Path to Recruiting Success in the New Age of NIL, the Transfer Portal, and Post-COVID Scholarships, which can be found on Amazon and over 20 other outlets. I hope everyone listening will purchase a copy of my book, which will help us continue to grow our brand, and yes, Bernard's book as well. Today, I don't have any sponsors for this show, but I would like to encourage everyone to be a monthly sponsor for one of the three charities I give to monthly, or pick one for yourself to give back. Mine are Cure Childhood Cancer, the Shriners Hospital, and St. Jude's Children's Hospital. They are all very special to me, and I would love it if you could help me get these great charities with a monthly donation, if you can. And today, I want to welcome on our podcast, Mr. Bernard Owens, who I met a few weeks ago when our book publisher, Mr. Rob Cosberg from BSP Publishing, invited about 50 of us down to Florida for a two-day get-together, and I met Bernard, who shared his story with me and his book. As many of you know, I normally focus on the evils of the NCAA, and yes, I have some more podcasts coming up on them, but for a change, wanted to bring in someone who's also dealt with many of the mental challenges we face, and not just as athletes and parents of athletes, but as human beings dealing with many of the many issues we face throughout our day and every day, and especially our children. And what came about from the pandemic in the K-12 and U.S. colleges higher ed learning side, where they were forced into lockdown mode, and even before this, the daily challenges our children go through, and how we can help with great people like Bernard and his story, and the work he is now doing in this space. Bernard's best-selling book is entitled, The Only Thing Wrong With You Is That You Think Something Is Wrong With You. What a great title and a great book, by the way. And it can be found on Amazon and I'm sure many other outlets, which Bernard will share with us, and his speaking engagements he is doing. So buckle up, as they say, for an awesome interview with Bernard Owens. Bernard, good morning, my friend. And how are you today on this awesome spring day? Good morning, good morning, good morning, Mark. Wow, thank you so much for having me here, brother. I really appreciate it this 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 time. And I know we connected instantly when we got a chance to speak together uh, at the end of the conference. And, you know, it was just a, a great conversation and a great opportunity to connect with another uh, another Atlantan and another brother. So I'm glad to yes. be here. Yes, yes, another brother in Christ, another Atlantan. You know, as you can tell from my Southern accent, uh, I was born and raised in Atlanta. Not really. Uh, and you met my <laughs> wife as well. And she clearly wasn't born in Atlanta. But uh, we we do share that common bond of dealing with the Atlanta traffic all those years. And now you're mm, in D.C., mm-hmm. and you, which we did our, my MBA work up there, University of Maryland. So we, we share mm-hmm. some of those great connections. But, I mean, they're God's connections. That's, that's how I look at it. So yeah. that's that's part of his plan. And, and while we're probably connected in this network of people we're working with. So, yeah. uh, you know, I wanted to really get into not just your book, that which is an important part, but, you know, your journey. You know, mm-hmm. so your journey, if you, we you know, we always talk about the journey. Everyone's got mm-hmm. a journey. Everyone's got this or everyone's got that. And you know what? And some people, I think, sometimes overuse that word, the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I went to the journey. I had to go to Publix today and get us, you know, <laughs> ham and cheese sandwich. Well, yeah, that may be yeah. their journey, you yeah. know, but it certainly is not a journey like you have been on, which is, a, you know, listening to your story was just phenomenal that night. So, you know, I, I really want to start out by 
by asking you, you know, how did you start on this journey? You know, and, and why and and why now with the book and and your speaking engagements? Listen, this was a completely uh, it's interesting that you use the term journey, because like you, I feel in some senses it's been overused. Right. But everybody has that. I mean, just like the word truth. Right. Uh, right. Everybody has their own truth. And then there's the truth. Right. And so um, this book really is just a thumbprint or fingerprint of who I am and what I've been through. And so when you ask how I started on this journey. The last thing that I thought that I would be doing uh, in 2019 would be putting together a book, right? But I just knew that based on my experience as a mental health clinician working all these years, that there was more of a need for people to talk about not just how to get over things or how to move on to things, uh, other things or how to heal, but the steps that it took for them personally, because uh, I'm a firm believer that real healing and transformation occurs when we share our stories with each other because there's so much loneliness and isolation that can take place when we're in our personal bubbles. Um, so when we go outside those bubbles and share with other people, I think real magic can happen. And so that's how I started the book, really, just as a, uh, a way to maybe connect and help other people in the same way that I have been helped. Okay, awesome. Th thank you for that. So, you know, what life experience uh, do you have that made you want to write this book and help others? Yeah, there's 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 got to be something that connected you to say, oh, you know what? That's it. I've had it. I'm I'm going to write a book because of not just my journey, but how it can help people down yeah. the road. Yeah, I think uh, in, in my work as a mental health clinician here in the D.C. area, uh, one of the things that really sparked my uh, passion for doing more than just being a mental health clinician and speaking from a personal space was coming in contact with so many younger people who are struggling with situations. Right. Um, in my, my own journey, uh, I, as I chronicle in the book, at 11 years old, I had my first suicide attempt. And what predated that was depression, uh, you know, childhood mm. depression, undiagnosed childhood depression. Yeah. Um, so when you asked what, what experience made me write this book and want to help others, it's just that we go through life, I think sometimes, particularly as adults, not always remembering what it was like to get to where we are and coming in contact with these young people that I work with sometimes just reminded me of, oh, you know, because I'm at a certain point, sometimes I take for granted that other people have uh, already gotten to that point or have those skills. And it's not always true. Um, and I think that's the great thing about being a speaker and doing the work that you and I do, that each one of us, when we share ourselves, maybe we don't resonate with everybody, but there are definitely people that God has put us out there to connect with that they might not be able to hear that message from someone else. So I think that's the beauty of, of doing this work individually. Right. No, that, that, that's a great point. I mean, whether you're an athlete or whether you're an artist or whether you're playing the band or whether you, you know, you, we all have those thoughts. We all mm -hmm. have those, man, I, my mom and dad just got divorced. You know, I came from a divorced set of parents, you know, so, you know, or, you know, like PTSD, you know, one of the things I was doing, I do some work with PTSD and I was talking about, there was a, uh, it was a, a weekend that happened. It was a pride weekend was going on in one of the schools. And I said, Hey, you know, I know it's pride week, but you know, you should also understand that the month of June is PTSD awareness month. And this mm -hmm. lady is like teacher, school teacher. I had no idea. She said, and I said, and I don't mean just from the wars, you know, the the scars, the mental scars we get from being active duty personnel and traveling overseas and fighting for our country. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people that are in transition, uh, you know, like transgenders, I never knew that, that that was a huge part of suicides uh, was a transgender community and young, you mm -hmm. know, young kids, you know, mm -hmm. so it's amazing how you hear these these things that happen from the mental illness standpoint or not even an illness, just what they're going through as kids. You and I, you know, when we grew up, our, our parents didn't really talk about mental illness. You know, I was an AD. I was, if there was a milk carton for ADD kids, mm. that would have been me on the milk carton. You mm -hmm. know, I was all over the place. But yeah. back then, they just said, oh, just run him around for an hour and a half and he'll wore out. Well, I was, I was like the <laughs> ever ready bunny. You know, I never wore out. And my mother was like, oh my goodness, I got six other kids to worry about. What am I going to do with this guy? And we didn't have those discussions. Now we have those discussions today with the mental, you know, the mental uh, aspects of young kids, whether they're ADHD or ADD or whatever else is going on. So I think, you know, the highlights that you bring to your book and your experiences, that's what relates and resonates, I believe, with the, the audience you're trying to speak to. Yeah. And I think it's a powerful thing that now at this 
day and age in 2023 that we have access to mental health resources that we never would have had access to before. And I think the younger persons, you mentioned uh, ADD and ADHD and how it was dealt with then. Um, you know, I, I have a relative who dealt with the same condition and, and it was much of the same. And this relative, unfortunately, went on to what we call self-medicate and use alcohol as a way of calming or soothing. Oh, wow. Because yeah. there was no diagnosis in 1980. Well, there was a diagnosis, but there wasn't the treatment that we, you know, have now, and 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 the resources that we have now. And so I think sometimes people have these things going on with themselves, but because there aren't resources or there is an awareness, uh, learn to cope in different ways. And sometimes those ways aren't always the healthiest. So this is great that we're having this conversation. I do have a confession for you today, Mark. I don't know if you're going to want to kick me off your show or not. Uh, <laughs> I didn't tell you this before. I am the absolute worst athlete in the world. I'm the kid. <laughs> I am the kid. That so you were the pick played, last guy. You were the, you were the pick the last kid. guy. I'm the pick last guy. I'm the guy when everybody lined up for kickball, you know, uh, uh, every folks would skip over me, you know? So they, they, yeah. they, they pick somebody's because I just don't have the acumen. Uh, I am proud of things when I'm able to actually catch something that's being thrown to me. So I'm working within my... <laughs> right. I'm working with right. them. But you know what? That's what this 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 life, this book, this journey is all about. Like learning our limitations and just embracing that and laughing about it and also figuring out ways to navigate through, around, over, or whatever it takes to be successful in spite of um what we deem or view as our limitations, right? So I just thought I would oh, share yeah. that with you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's good because you know, uh so some of the things I'm not good at now. You know, of course, you met my wife. She's a great technology person. I love technology as well. Uh, but my wife loves to fish. Mm. She could sit out in the boat. Like her her retirement home is retirement home. Our house, which when we when we she retires next year, is going to be it's a it's a lake house. Mm. And her goal is that you know what, honey, every morning I want to wake up, I want to grab a cup of coffee, and I'm gonna go fishing for seven hours. Mm. Well, I would be on the boat for about three minutes. Yeah. If I don't catch something, I'm out. You know, her, yeah. that's her strength. Her strength is, you know, loves doing this. But if you were to put her out in an athletic field event, she'd be like, I'm not doing this. I mean, she was yeah. a catcher uh, for her company when they played softball. And when I watched her, I was like, oh, my dear, honey, you're you're, <laughs> you're horrible, right? But I didn't, I'm thinking she's horrible because of her. Right. Because mm-hmm. she's never been an athlete. She came from the Philippines. And, you know, there's not a there wasn't a big contingent of Filipino catchers back then, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, but so we all have our strengths, which I think you talk about. But we also have our weaknesses. And I say it's not really a weakness. It's just a strength we haven't developed yet. Yeah. And that's how I look at, you know, every time I want to learn something, I realize that, OK, let me take a step back. I'm not going to have the answer immediately. You know, I'm not going to know exactly what to do. But I'm going to research how and where I can get that. And to I think mm. that's a point to you for your book is here's a resource I now have. Here's mm-hmm. a research I can have. And now I can sit down and read it and go, yeah, that's me. Mm. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's what we talk about is uh, I'm that person in the book. So I can relate to what Bernard's story is. Yeah. Right. And, and your I, experiences. I, I, that's, that's so true. And I think in a divine way, God kind of aligned us, you and me. Because if we had to talk about sports, uh, you know, you probably take two minutes with me and be like, this guy, I'm, I'm out of here, right? <laughs> so we, <laughs> but fortunately, my brother, you and I have connected on other areas, and particularly with regard to sports, what some of the young people that you work with uh, go through outside or inside of sports and what it takes mentally and emotionally to be a top athlete. Oh, so yeah. I know yeah. that's where we connected, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here, man. So, so, uh, so what... So that's a great segment into our second question. So what really, what life experience uh, did you have that made you want to write this book and and help mm-hmm. others? I mean, we talked about your, your attempted suicide, but mm-hmm. what other things, there was something, you didn't wake up one Tuesday morning and go, okay, well, I'm going to attempt suicide today, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what was the life experiences that you had that maybe young kids are dealing with that you think you can relate to that, that preceded or started or went, you went through that, that period we're saying, I'm just going to commit suicide today. What there, there was something that happened in a life experience that started that process. Yeah. And I think there were several things that led up to that, but I, I now we have the, the context and the dialogue to talk about it, the parentification 
of, of a young person meeting, you know, taking someone who's younger and giving them adult responsibilities. And I certainly had that from the age of eight years up on eight years old on up, uh, uh, attending parent teacher conferences for my brother. My mom was a wonderful mother, uh, but she was a single mom at a certain point and we lived in public housing and she had two jobs. And so I became an adult and I'm great yeah. at all those things. I'm great at all those things now because of that. And so again, like, just like what we talked about before, those things may have put pressures on me that led me up to feeling like uh, I was never going to be perfect enough to make everything okay in our household, or I was never mm. going to be perfect enough to, to, to do whatever I needed to do in life or, or to, to help others. And those pressures on an eight, nine, 10, 11 year old caused me to seek uh, a way out. And so I have had two suicide attempts, but I can tell you, particularly the one at 11 years old, I don't know that I knew enough about dying and suicide to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit suicide today. I knew enough based on my circumstances and the pressure that I was under that I just wanted release. I just wanted help. Wow. I just wanted, I wanted everything to be okay. Wow. And so, you know, that's what led up to that. And it really started um, my journey of wellness um, and, and just trying to see things in a different light. And so when I talk about embracing, you know, the, the things that we might see as flaws or wish we could wish were better. I, I think it's important to look at those things from a different lens and laugh at them. And then also remember what you are good at and, um, and go from there. And like you said, if there's something in the area that you're weak in that you want to improve on, look at the things that you've been good at and how you've mastered those things. And then you can apply, I'm sure if I applied that same stuff to being an athlete, I could be better at being an athlete, but you know, I just thought it, you know, it's a funny joke between you and I, but we can right. always use the things that have made us successful and successful in other areas and apply them to areas where we have weaknesses and, and make those things grow too. So that's very true. Uh, very, very yeah. true. So, yeah. and, you know, so I guess, you know, to my standpoint, you know, we, we, you and I talk about passion all the time, you know, we talk about passion and passion really is something that comes from within. It yeah. doesn't come from external. I mean, sometimes our situations make us do something from a passion standpoint, but right. you know, what's your, what's your favorite part of what you're doing right now? Uh, and really what's the least favorite part of what you're doing right now? I mean, sometimes to me, it's telling my story, you mm -hmm. know, being humble enough to say, Hey, you know, I, I came from a family of seven. My mom and dad got divorced. I mean, back then, you know, of course I'm a hundred years old right now, but you know, when I was growing up, you know, we were the first family to have a divorce in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was like waking up in the morning uh, with my own stigmatism of people going, oh, there's like that Mark Nolan kid, you know, he's got his parents are divorced. Yeah. You know, and, and how that were looked at. So what's your favorite part of doing your speaking engagements and probably what's your least part? I mean, I, I, and I, I can only think the least part is when you have to be humble enough to share your, your hook, as they say, your experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so what's, what is that? translate to your best part of your what you're doing and the worst part of what you're doing the least favorite i guess you say oh the best part of what i do and i could feel myself lighting up when you asked that front end of that 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 two-part question the best part man is in the work that i do and not just the speaking and not just the writing the book but my everyday work as a mental health clinician working with uh marginalized persons working working with the uninsured uh the best part of that is knowing that i made a difference um, in a real way, in a tangible way, in a quantifiable way. I may have a client come into our facility on June 1st and they're with us. It's a short-term facility, so they may leave on by June 15th. And I see the difference that that not just me, but the team that I work with has made in this person's life there. Uh, there's just a difference, whether it's they have more knowledge about what they've been dealing with, or whether they've chosen to uh, adopt medications into the regimen, whether they've had mm. deep relationships with themselves or their families or a therapist. So in that way, I get a real world way to see that what I'm doing makes a difference. Right. And so when you talk about uh, the humility piece and talking about my story, I don't mind that at all. It's, it's like my eyes are brown and I was depressed and tried to commit suicide. It, those are just facts, right? And those yeah, facts don't yeah. determine who, you know, they, they just are what they are. And I think in sharing yeah. that, I, I can, you know, affect change in people in a way that I wouldn't be able to do if I were just speaking from a textbook mental health clinician standpoint. So it's a, it's a, it's a balance. I think the, the thing that I don't like the most or the, the part that I'm still getting comfortable with is uh, the social media aspect or kind of marketing something that's so personal. Uh, yes. But, but I know the greater good is a direction from God to do that so that people out there can hear me. And I can't help people by just sitting here in my office 
um, and not connecting uh, on a wider scale with with other folks. And so, Good. you know, Good. Yeah. so do you think do you, do you think so you think and I'll, I'll throw out Amy's name. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you're connected. I forget her name or her company, God forbid. I'm sorry. Sorry, Amy. Uh, but, you know, with what you're doing with Amy and her group, that's probably seems like that really is better. You're better social media, if you will. You being able to speak in front of audiences, you know, and, and, and young people and parents and other clinicians about what you're doing. So that's probably your greater good, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or more favorite thing that you can do is the public speaking. And the yeah. less favorite thing, I mean, I hate all the stuff they're doing. Snapchat, GRP, this thing, that <laughs> thing. I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. Right. I have no right. freaking idea what you're talking about, right? Right. I just right. want to get my message out there, right? Right. And when mm-hmm. I do, I'm good. But my brain, again, being ADD, mm-hmm. you can imagine me being ADD and there's 70,000 social media aspects. Another new one pops up and go, okay, I'm, I'm like a dog sometimes. You know, with the ball, you know, throw mm-hmm. the ball over there, throw the ball over there. So, uh-huh. I mean, I see your, I, I believe me, I feel your pain when it yeah. comes down to that. So, I, I, I'll give a plug for Amy and, and what you're doing with her, I guess. Yeah, um, Amy, Amy Dix and Authority Speaker Association, which is the name of her company, uh, they've been, really been able to help me um, address some of the issues, or not issues, but challenges that come with being a speaker and an author. Uh, if you were to put me on a stage, I have no problem again telling my story and talking in that way. But I think for each of us, there are different challenges in the business of being a speaker or an author, because that's one of the things that, you know, if you're going to get your message out to people, you have to look at the business part of it so that you can have the more distri- the greatest distribution to those folks out there. Um, right. So Amy Dixon, Authority Speaker Association, have been uh, a great help with that. And I feel your pain. I'm 51, but I remember my mother and my grandmother having trouble setting the clock on the VCR. That that gives away how old I am. And just, you know. That's and, a and, great, 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 great lead-in. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so anybody's that's out very there true. Anybody out there who's, you know, of a certain age and remembers VCRs also remembers being younger and looking at your parents like, what the heck is wrong with you? You just push this button and that button and right. you set the clock on the VCR. It's the right. same thing now when someone says something to me, particularly Snapchat. There's all these colors and things dancing around. And I'm like, I, okay, I'm going to go take a nap. And it's the so. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what you do, what God has taught me to do and directed me to do is outsource that to somebody younger or somebody more savvy, tech savvy in that yes. way. Kind of like my grandmother used to outsource me to get things recorded on the VCR because, you know, we got to do what we got to do to and be obedient. Uh, that's that, that's a great point that, that's a great point um so you know if you if there's one idea uh that experts in your field say uh that either you disagree with or sometimes drive you crazy when they say something what would that be and how do you mm-hmm. handle that mm-hmm. well let me say you know being on both sides i have a lot of respect for the the, the experts but at the same time I, like i said earlier if if in some cases the expert doesn't have the lived experience that the client has yes. had, like yes. in my case, I've had that lived yes. experience. There's yes. not always a sensitivity there. Uh, mm. You know, I talk in my book just a, a bit about some of the things I've been through. And as a uh, younger man being diagnosed with uh, HIV disease in 2000, in 2000, 2000. And the okay. clinician, the, the doctor saying to me, listen, you got, you got three years before things start shutting down. He used his hand, Mark, to demonstrate. You're like a train heading towards the other edge of a cliff, Bernard. And what wow. we don't know is how fast the train is going or wow. how close you are to the edge of the cliff. And that's how he explained to me uh, what my life was going to be. Wow. And so it's those types of things. It's not just mental health, but it's also in the medical field sometimes. Now, do I think that doctor had negative or evil intentions in how he communicated that message to me? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But I do think sometimes on this side of it, uh, dealing with illness or dealing with certain things, I have a different level of sensitivity for my clients uh, work dealing with mental health issues that someone who has not gone through those things simply doesn't have. And I think that's the beauty of the work that, that we do and that we hope to do is that there are different ways that different people can connect in different areas. Um, you know, and, and, and looking back on that instance I just told you about, Maybe someone, maybe a patient who was very logical and pragmatic and linear in their thinking would appreciate the train analogy. Mm-hmm. I did not. Mm-hmm. I did not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. But I right. used it as a source of motivation. And here I am, you know, 
that was what 30 years ago 99 wow. my math is terrible but anyway 30 yeah. 31 years ago and i'm and my organs have not shut down i've never had any problems and i'm here on a podcast with mark nolan so you wow. know we have to we have to believe in ourselves and believe in something greater and believe in what god has called us to do uh and so that's why i'm still here good good okay yeah. so here you go here's a good question for you if you if you had uh if you had the attention of the whole middle school and you know and, and high school world of parents and children for five minutes yeah you know what would you say to them and i see i i when the train when i train athletes that have uh issues sometimes with focus i call it mental awareness so mm-hmm. i don't call it a mental illness i'm like hey you know you're you got an adhd problem ad or an add problem mm-hmm. i actually think add is great for kickers and punters because we have a short span you know, mm-hmm. we take her three steps back. We take her two steps over. The, the snapper sends the ball to us. The holder puts it down. We kick the ball through the uprights. That takes, you know, three and a half seconds. You know, mm-hmm. so that's good for an ADD person. Right. That three and a half seconds, boom, they can, if they were to do that for an hour, oh my mm-hmm. goodness gracious, they'd be all over the place. So right. I, I focus on the mental awareness of the athlete because a lot of the parents, who, especially who, who aren't kickers and punters, you know, mm-hmm. the moms and dads who never done it. They can't understand when little Johnny can't hit a 30 yarder, you know, every time I'm like, well, that's because, you know, the last perfect person that was on this earth, we put on a cross over 2000 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. named Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. you're never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so what would, what would you say to them? You know, if you had that attention for, uh, I guess the middle school and high school kids and their parents, mm-hmm. uh, what you bring to the table, you could help them out with your book. Mm. You know what I would do, what I would say to them, uh, two prongs. First, to to the kids, to the young people, I I would really softly like to lean in and say, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. You're okay. Just just you're fine just the way that you are. Right. And Mm -hmm. also let them know that inside of being fine and highly inherently designed by a higher power, you're fine. Also let them know that it's okay okay to improve on the hardware. Right. Improve on the hardware that you have in terms of becoming a better kicker, becoming a better punter, becoming a better athlete, but remembering that who you are inherently, this vessel is completely, perfectly, beautifully fine and okay. And you can also improve, right? And so to let them know, to take a deep breath and, and, and just chill out, right? And then I would say to the parents, like, listen, listen to what your child is saying. Don't just, don't just hear them, but listen in a way that you're paying attention to what they're saying to you and what they're not saying to you. Um, And I don't know how to quite get that across other than I think parents out there will understand. We say things verbally, but our body language gives so much more away about where we are in in that moment, in that time. And I'm encouraging the parents to just listen to what the child is not saying so that you can be aware and take precautions and prevent certain things from happening. You know, if I may use myself as an example, like for me, I don't, I don't know that because everyone in my life, the adults were so busy, no one was actually listening to what I wasn't saying and the pain that I was going through. That's, that's great. That's a great point. I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, literally about that. Um, I had a thing called sports parents university, and mm-hmm. it was basically taking a parent from the freshman year, the sophomore year, did you, it were four part series. And mm-hmm. the focus was, when you as a parent are, you know, your son or daughter walks in from practice and says, and they say to you, Hey, how was practice tonight? Oh, fine. And then they run upstairs or downstairs in their basement. And, you know, they're on Snapchat and they're doing this or doing that and everything else. And all of a sudden the kid, the athlete or, or kid, maybe he got beat up in school. Maybe she got beat up in school. Maybe she was called something in school they didn't like. Right. And right. all of a sudden, the kid goes up into their little bubble that you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and mm-hmm. that little bubble is their own social media. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's like, hey, tonight I'm going to kill myself, or tonight I'm mm-hmm. going to blow the school up, or tonight I'm going to do whatever it's going to be, right? And mm-hmm. I try to tell the parents, to your point about listening, when they and the kid says, fine, and then we're upstairs, and all we do is go back to our, you know, watch Dancing with the Stars or, you know, whatever we're doing as parents, right? Watching, you know, the Netflix show that's on next. And we don't listen well enough to that fine because that fine may not be fine. Yeah. That yeah. fine may be, you know what? I really had a tough day in school today, dad, mom, you know, these people chased me down. You know what? And honestly, Bernard, I'll tell you a quick story about me. I was, and it blew me away. You know, our, our, both our kids 
uh, are, you know, half me and half my wife who you met who's Asian. Mm -hmm. They went to Catholic school throughout their entire life. We thought everything was fine. They were great. They were growing up. They had friends. They played sports. Their academics were awesome, right? We thought everything was great. And then about five or six years ago, we had a, a Christmas party and they they both came home uh, with their respective friends. And, uh, you know, we had a few glasses of wine. We we're enjoying a Christmas dinner. And then I talked about, you don't know what it's like to be to growing up, being me, right? Mm -hmm. Being ostracized by my friends because I was I came from a divorced family all of a sudden. Like I had some kind of like third eyeball sticking out, right? Mm -hmm. And our son said to me, Dad, you think I was okay? You don't mm -hmm. know the names I was called every day. I was called slant eye and half slant eye. I was like, mm -hmm. I would have never thought of that and my daughter said the same thing as beautiful yeah. as she is i was like are you yeah. are you yeah we had in a private school that costs a lot of money you right. know we had jerks those kids that were jerks back then were just the same jerks you and i had growing up right hasn't changed yeah. the difference i think bernard to your point is you went you went to the other way saying i just want this pain to be over with mm -hmm. i want mm -hmm. this to go away you mm -hmm. know, I don't want to have this discussion with my mom anymore or mm -hmm. or have her see me go through the pain of you know, environment. So that opened my eyes. Right. Even when, when I thought my kids were just awesome, mm -hmm. they both said, Dad, you you just missed that one, man. You mm -hmm. you missed what they were calling us. And I, mm -hmm. and I wanted to go back and, of course, you know. <laughs> beat all the parents up of those kids uh, who are calling our kids, you know, slant eyes and all the, all the names you would think were just so derogatory that right. they are never mentioned was an issue. Yeah. Right. And I so, think, yeah, I think part of that is in my situation in hearing what your kids went through is my mom's working two jobs and trying to take care of two boys and trying to keep, you know, things together. And um, the last thing I wanted to do was to burden my mom. And I didn't yes. have the language to articulate to her that, hey, I'm under a lot of pressure. Just like maybe I would imagine your kids didn't have the language to come to you and say, hey, this is what's going on. I don't know how I feel about it. Remember, and I'm try I try to remember when I was younger, you're still trying to formulate ways of navigating, negotiating the world. And now you and I are of a certain age. So we know if something happens or pops off, how we might respond or how we might best want to respond. But that age, you're still trying to figure it out. You're, you're, you're. Your hardware or your, your software, I should say, is just being upgraded slowly. So um, I totally get it. And, and you okay. know, who knows what they learned from those experiences? They may have learned how to, uh, there may be some strong things that came out of that, you know? Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, when now when they have their own kids, mm -hmm. right, and they're going through it, they may be able to partake. You know, we, we all talk about lessons. We all talk about, you know, the journey is one thing, but the lessons we get from that, right. the ability for us to be able to talk to our kids about those things and say, hey, by the way, when you get to school, you may have this happen to you, right? And yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I just think that's one of the things that's a, that's a, it's a danger when you know. And I, I relate that to sports when a kid doesn't make the select super duper team, mm -hmm. you know, and the mom and dad, well, you know, he's, he's playing on the second team now, or he's playing on the third team now, you mm -hmm. know, it's it's the parents' pressure, mm -hmm. Bernard, that I see, and I see mm -hmm. this at young kids. I see this at you know, U nine, U ten, U eleven. I'll tell you a quick story again. I had a lady that was uh, that was devastated, and her son. I was a director of coaching at a soccer place here in Atlanta, mm -hmm. uh, up up near our area, and we were picking the kids for the top team. Yeah. Myself and three other coaches. Okay, at U ten, and this kid he was a pretty good soccer player, and all of a sudden, when we picked them, this kid didn't make the the top team. I tell the mother, I call the mother on the phone and say, hey, Mary, you know, so-and-so didn't make the top team. This kid at 10 years old, she said, was devastated. She got the phone. Mm -hmm. She called me back like half hour. Mark, Mark, so-and-so, he, he's just devastated. He just can't mm -hmm. believe why he didn't make it. Well, now, mm -hmm. did he? was he really devastated at 10? Mm -hmm. Or was the mom devastated at 10? Because now she had to deal with a different set of parents now mm -hmm. on the second team. She was mm -hmm. no longer, she was probably still going to Starbucks and getting that six pump venti mocha stirred in the mornings, right? And getting the donuts. <laughs> right. But now she's with the second group of parents as opposed to the top parents. And, you mm -hmm. know, and the kid that being fine, the kid that ended up being on the A team, the A team or the top team later on, and then mm -hmm. played college soccer. So, mm -hmm. you know, trying to get those people to understand. When I say those people, I mean, parents who just, 
you know, they, we, we talk about the over the top parents or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they're, we want to name them now, whatever name we want to give them now. Uh, I think to your point, the more aware that we can make the parents, I think probably does help how we prepare the kids mm-hmm. that may not think they're okay. Yeah. To your point about, no, you really are okay. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think when those things happen, Mark, too, in your example, I, I bet if the kid knew that the mom was okay, that things didn't turn out the way that they would have liked, it would alleviate a lot on the child. Because I think kids just want to uh, know that they're okay, whether they're failing or succeeding, whether they're still loved, whether they're failing or succeeding. Um, and so I think that's an important part to, to mention too, for parents, like if your kid is failing in certain areas, let them know that they're still okay. And that just, just a failure is not, doesn't mean that they're a failure, you know? Right. Right. Okay. Uh, so here's a, here's a, and this is a question for, for you. If you had, if you had a giant billboard, like a, an awesome billboard on 85 somewhere in Atlanta and, and yeah. on it, you know, metaphorically speaking, uh, you can get a message to, to millions or even, you know, billions of folks. What would it say and why? Wow, man. I have to tell you, I'd have a picture probably of celebrities that had things go wrong and where they are. Right, right away comes to mind as Beyonce. Beyonce uh, and her group lost on Star Search. Again, I'm dating myself because that's an old television show, but they lost. It was devastating right. for them. And I know she talks. Beyonce is the biggest entertainer in the world. So you don't let losing star search stop you from moving forward. You use that to the next level. So again, my billboard would say at the bottom of it, the only thing wrong with you is that you think something's wrong with you. Um, and to let folks know, you you keep pushing and you take that loss and incorporate it into what winners do. Think about Kobe Bryant. Um, I was just watching something with Shaq the other day. Uh, now, let me let me say this. I'm terrible at sports, but I love sports stories and sports uh, athletes and their stories of what it took to be successful. And he was just talking about how Kobe worked his butt off um, technically, mentally, uh, in preparation. And that's how they were able to do so many championships where Shaq was admitting to the fact that he was a little lazy, but he had the physical uh the physical president presence to be good at the sport where Kobe may not have had the same presence, but he worked hard. So again, it's the same thing. You take what you got and you optimize it. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, so are there any quotes uh, you think about often and, and, or live by your life? And, and even if in, what way in your office do you have something that drives you every day to be success, to help these, these people out? Oh, wow. You know, my mom passed in September, September 23rd. One of the things she used to always say to me, and I think, I hope I got the scripture right, but I believe it was Romans eight twenty eight. Uh, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. And, it, you know, that's another way of saying God is always working for our greater good. So that's one of the quotes that I live with and try to and try to take with me, because during times of adversity, you can't always see how you may come out better on the other end. Uh, it doesn't seem like that at the time. It could seem actually quite awful. Uh, but, you know, God is always working for our greater good. And we have to have faith even in the worst times, even in the, the valleys that we will wind up on a peak again, even a higher peak than we thought we would have been on. OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is an, an unusual habit? Uh, or absurd thing that you love about you know this and that helps and what you're doing that helps uh, drive you every day. Is there like one thing that you that you think about every day that that say I may think this is absurd, but it might be normal to someone else. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. is that one thing that you think about? I think you know I think what is absurd about our existence as human beings is that the body. If you tried to suffocate me with your hand right now, I'd fight you off. It's an autonomic feature, right, of of survival. But at the same time, our, our, our mental will try to self-sabotage us in so many ways. Uh, you know you're supposed to be going to the gym, but yet you're in bed eating ice cream. It's all, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that's the absurdity of, of what it means to be a human being sometimes is that uh, we can be our own worst enemy at times. me sit around eating ice cream as opposed to going to the gym uh that's just a you know that's a silly example but just those things that 
a lot of times it's not other people telling us what we can't do or what we can't be or how we can't be successful. It's us. <laughs> so that's the absurdity right. of life. That's the absurdity of life for me in, in my case, and maybe others will understand that, is that, you know, nobody's, try- no, nobody's trying to hold me back as much as sometimes I am. Uh, in, yeah. in subversive ways. So yeah, no, that, that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's awesome. Uh, you know, so the word failure is always amazing, amazing word to me. I mean, like Michael Jordan talks about, you know, how many shots he's done every day and how many, what failure looked like him, you know, it's like Thomas Edison, you know, he didn't fail, uh, you know, 997 ways. He just said, I just found 997 ways not to make a light bulb. Right. You know, so it, it's right. those it's those kind of, I guess, failures that is such a negative connotation. I, I heard one time, Bernard, I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I did hear this, that by the time a child is three years old, they hear the word no 250,000 times. Wow. No, don't do that. No, don't touch that. No, mm-hmm. to put your hand on the stove. I mean, there are good things. No, mm-hmm. but don't put your hand on the stove because you're going to burn mm-hmm. your hand. But mm-hmm. it's no, no, no. It's a negative. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, uh, I, I was training yesterday with a young man, mm-hmm. young, great young kid, right? And his dad, both great guys. And like, so when I do my field goal kicking and charting, what we call charting, I start out, I'll do 10 for 10. And I base everything based on 10 because I'm like, hey, when you're in school, you have a grading scale. You know, a, a seven out of 10 is a 70. An eight out of 10 is an 80. A nine out of 10 is a 90. A 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. is a 100, right? So, you know, it's a perfect score, right? And you get the stars yeah. and you know, the teacher puts down, way to go, Joey! You know, stars, <laughs> everything else, right? Stars here, stars there. And uh, and immediately I flash back because this kid had a great set. He had, we went 10, 10, and 10 as we just kicked the balls further back. And uh, when we got done, I said to the dad, okay, come on up here. And h- how do you think we did today? And the dad said, well, you missed, you did everything great, but you missed those two over there. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. okay. So mm-hmm. really, was it in the dad's mindset to focus on the awesome 27 out of 30 that this young kid hit field goals on? Or did he focus on the ones he missed? Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I believe he focused on the ones he missed. So mm-hmm. to me... I'm not a clinician like you are. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a coach, but I have to keep on focusing a positive reinforcement with him mm-hmm. because I now know when the dad goes home with him, he may, those discussions we have in cars with our kids, mm-hmm. you know, I, I relate that, you know, we get done a soccer game, a soccer match, and some of those parents get in the car. Well, you know, Joey, you missed that shot today. Yeah, right. Dude, I had, but that I had four goals. Yeah. You know, so just like yourself, how do you uh, how do you make that happen where you take someone who may live in a world that's a negative view or mm. a failure and how do you turn that into a positive? That's awesome. And thank you. That's uh, in my book. The only thing wrong with you is that you think something wrong with you. I chronicle a story about my dad and myself. I had given the commencement address to my graduating class at Michigan State University. It was a big deal to me because I had almost, sure. I, had, I had been put on academic probation. I had some financial troubles and, and I had made it and was giving the. And after the speech, my dad said to me, listen, I always knew you'd graduate from college. I just didn't think you'd make it in life. Right? Now listen to what I just said, right? <laughs> now, now, right? Wow. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I did not at the time have the technology or the mental acuity to ask further questions. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, talk to me about that, dad. Like in what ways do you think I wouldn't fail? The evidence shows that I would be successful. Like what? I didn't do that. I got mad at my dad. I didn't speak to him. I was like, this guy, blah, 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 blah. Well, here's what I forgot. I forgot that while I was giving that speech in Michigan State uh, Arena, I could hear one person yelling from the top of the stands, that's my son, that's my son. That's left, awesome. I, I, I forgot about that, right? All I heard was, I didn't think you'd make it in life. In so I went to him later years and asked him and he said, oh no, man. Because remember, I'd had a suicide attempt at 11 and, and 21. 21 was while, yeah. I, while I was at Michigan State. Wow. And I asked him, I was like, well, you know, that really hurt me. What did you mean by that? And he, my dad's a macho, macho guy, right? Steel worker all his life, blue collar, you know, salt yeah. of the earth. And he yeah. looks me in the eyes and his eyes are tearing up. And I talk about that in the book. And he says to me, I 
was worried that you wouldn't make it. I thought that you might harm yourself. I thought that you wouldn't be able to handle the pressures of, of this life. Not that you wouldn't be successful. I thought that you would crumble under the pressures. And that's what made me so afraid for you. So what you heard he's saying to me is not me saying that you were going to fail at life. What me heard, what you, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. But he was saying to me, that's not what I meant. What I meant is that I love you and I know how powerful you are and I didn't want you to get caught in the undertow of what life can do to bring you down. Mm, wow. Could you imagine Boy. what my life would be like if I hadn't bothered Boy. to have that conversation with him? Boy, yeah, you'd, you'd, still be, you'd still be thinking about... I'd still be thinking my dad didn't care. Your dad didn't care, right. Wow. I mean, that's that, that, that really is powerful. You know, it's a, uh, and again, I, I think uh, the transition that we've made from us growing up and mm -hmm. how our parents, I mean, you know, a lot of, and I'm a little older than you, but you know, our parents of course went through the depression mm -hmm. and then immediately they went to world war II and they fought, you know, the, the most of the most part are dads, uh, mm -hmm. but the spouses came over and then mm -hmm. they fought in world war II. They came home, they started mm -hmm. life again. Then the Korean conflict started up. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they started raising a family. And then those people, our moms and dads, they had kids that ended up going to Vietnam or whatever. Right. So they mm -hmm. were in a constant battle, like, you know, Tom Brokaw's book, The Greatest Generation. Yeah. You know, they talk about, you know, the things that they went through. But, mm -hmm. you know, my uncle Jimmy, my favorite uncle Jimmy, my dad's my dad's brother, he had three purple hearts. Never yeah. knew about it. Never wow. knew about it. Their own kids didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. Until his, until when he died, and they have a thing called the Purple Heart Brigade that follows people who had Purple Hearts when they pass away. They come locally and they help out with the ceremony. Yeah. And his his own six kids had no idea about what he went through because mm -hmm. they were just too busy going through life. So my mm -hmm. dad, who was a, a Guadalcanal and Iwo Jima Marine, tough guy, just like your dad, right? Salt, you mm -hmm. know, a spicy guy had no filter, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever he said just came right out, and he didn't care. They they had I, I think they they had their own world view of how they should raise kids based on what their parents did. Yeah. Again, to your to your point, there was no books back then. There was right. no Bernard that could come to a school mm -hmm. or to a university and say, Hey, guess what? There is absolutely nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Whatever yeah. they think, that's what they think. But don't let the social pressures get you down to think you're not the guy. I mean, of course, if you're not athletically, if you're athletically challenged, right? You know, <laughs> from the kickball standpoint, you may say, hey, you know what? I'll be the scorer, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, I may be the last guy picked, but I'll be the guy who keeps a score, right? right? Or I'll be the ref or I'll, I'll be the referee, you know? Right. And some yeah. sometimes those referees, they go, okay, I wasn't athletically good, but I'm going to be the referee. So I'm going to show you. When I'm the referee, you're not going to give me any crap anymore, you know, which yeah. is a, a funny transition to make to, to, my, to my next question. So yeah. the success that you have right now, mm -hmm. you know, and being the clinician that you've done, you've actually chosen a field of study. You've actually chosen a field of life because of the things that you went through that if you mm -hmm. didn't go through them and you would have just passed and God forbid, there'd be a horrible thing to think. How does that relate now to you being able to, really reach into the kids and their parents' hearts and say, Hey, you got to listen. You got to come listen to me speak. You got to mm -hmm. let me engage with you. Cause I, like I, when I do my public speaking, I engage the audience a lot. Sometimes mm -hmm. they don't engage until after the presentation, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're all done the presentation. Next thing you know, it's like, it's like a horde of people wanting to come to you. I'm like, dude, I just got done asking you 10 minutes ago. Does anybody have any right. questions? You know, right, and then right. you know, some brave soul will raise his or her hands from mom or dad. And then mm -hmm. after the presentation, I literally, Bernard, will be stuck for maybe 45 minutes to an hour <laughs> you know, asking more questions, probably yeah. similar to you. So, yeah. you know, what what is it, you know, what is it that has happened in the last five years? You know, let's go pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, COVID. You know, what are the beliefs and behaviors that you think have happened with these, with these, these kids that we've that we said, look, you can't go to class, you can't learn, you can't go to a stadium, you can't play in the band, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. What is it that those things have shown you mm -hmm. in writing your book? Which I'm sure in 2019, you probably had some thought about, wow, 
I just see this small thing called the COVID happening, this thing called the mm-hmm. pandemic. But yet, mm-hmm. I don't know how to to deal with this. But maybe if I can take my own problems that I faced, my own little pandemic that I left with when I was 11 mm-hmm. and then 21, you know, mm-hmm. what are those things that you believe are, are going to help your audience out now as we move forward past the pandemic? Because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but We've had five global pandemics over the last 115 years. I say 115 years. I tie that to the NCAA Mm -hmm. because when the NCAA decided to close everything down, right, and then the National Federation of High School Sports, they closed everything down. Mm -hmm. We've had five global pandemics just similar to this in the last 115 years of the NCAA, and they never shut down the schools in those five other pandemics. They never shut down uh, baseball, football, basketball, band, whatever they were doing, they never shut those schools down. So what do you think the pandemic has done for you to to understand the dynamics of what these kids are going through and how they get out of that, you know, journey, if you will, that their own journey are going to from, hey, we're in school, we're enjoying school, it's great, everything's wonderful, to now, no, full stop, you can't do anything. You have to sit in your house. You can only get on, you know, YouTube channels or whatever it's going to be. So what do you, what do you think, what do you think your focus is going to be for your audience moving forward to help them out? I think first of all, the pandemic, this particular pandemic that we just threw through, at least in my experience has created a greater sense of urgency because you Mm -hmm. never know when things are fine in September and by November, we're all stuck in our houses for what they told us would just be a few weeks, right? Right, uh, right. <laughs> And so, so right. that's one thing, like the immediacy of how quickly life can change on all of us. And then the second thing with regard to young people is to, to I think it has brought forth the importance of human contact and fellowship. Uh, and, you know, I know we still, uses our, we still use our devices to a great extent. But now we see that life is about more than devices in terms of connecting with people. Life is about being at parties with people or, or, or you know, going to concerts or whatever those things are. And connectedness, because even during the pandemic, we were connected in a way that we hadn't been in a long time because we were all oh, yeah. dealing with this isolation and loneliness. So th- those are a, a few of the things I think that you know, can come out of that. And I do want to, if I can go back to one of your previous questions, I want to let parents off the hook, off the freaking hook. When I was talking about my dad and I talk about my relationship with my dad and my mom in my book and how those things were able to be transformed, the kids are okay, but the parents are okay too, because I honestly believe that every parent that's hard on their kid about getting 27, uh, you know, goals, but missing two, I think that they just want their kids to be okay and excellent and know that that kid is going to be okay when they're no longer on the planet. And so sometimes Correct. that shows up as perfectionism. Um, you talked about your experience with, 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 you know, your parents and the depression and world war two. And I, and my parents and grandparents went through some of that, but also uh, with regard to Jim Crow and post-slavery and oh, all yeah. those things. Like, yes. There were conversations that black folks had to have with their younger people in their family just so they wouldn't get pulled over and lynched or you know in the deep Correct. south or so Correct. so so every parent it may show up as perfectionism but my belief is that every parent just wants their kid to be okay and safe and excellent and be able to take care of themselves financially spiritually in terms of relationships once the parent is no longer here now that's my my belief i may be a bit naive but i i gotta believe that if you bring someone into this world there's a part of you that wants things to be okay for them uh, in some sort of way. So I'd like to let parents off the hook in the same way that, you know, I let the kids know that they're okay too. We all, yeah. Listen, Mark, we, we, we all just trying to do the best we can. <laughs> I, got, oh, that's I true. honestly believe that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's very, and you deal with that. I mean, you, in, in the people, the, the folks you interview in your, in your, on the clinical side and the think, and the things you do daily, I think that's a great point to bring up is that, Hey, look, our moms and dads, we do the best we can, you know, with right. the tools we have, and I right. think one of the tools that they really need is a, is like a book like yours or mm-hmm. a speaking engagement that they can go is like, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was me. Uh, you know, it, it just, just letting them off the hooks, so mm-hmm. to speak, because this, just like you, we, we talked about as parents, I know that mm-hmm. the stuff I grew up with my childhood has carried me 
40 and 50 years down the road, mm-hmm. um, you know, my own dad was, he was a kind of a abusive kind of guy. He liked to knock you around a couple of times, you know, Irish mm-hmm. Catholic, big guy, you know, uh, and, you know, he hit me one time and broke my tooth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to I said to the doctor, I'm never going to get this tooth fixed mm-hmm. because it will be, a, and I was like 15, 14 mm-hmm. or 15. I said, because it's going to be a constant reminder of me of how I don't want to be as a dad and a father when I get older. Mm-hmm. Right. So years later, whenever I got upset with our kids for doing something goofy, you know, like mm-hmm. all kids do goofy stuff. I finally would remember that. And the only thing I would say, I said to my daughter one time, she did something. I said, you know, Megan, I'm, I'm just, I'm just disappointed in you. Mm. She came back like 20 minutes later and she says, dad, you should have taken a stick out and beaten me mm. compared to just saying how disappointed you are in me, because that was a killer to me. That just mm-hmm. drove a stake in my heart. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? So I learned something. I learned mm-hmm. that, Hey, that's a very strong word to her mm-hmm. being disappointed. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to dial back and understand the ways that I had to deal with the things mm-hmm. I didn't have. I didn't have your book. Right. <laughs> I didn't have all I had was my life experiences. Yeah. That was yeah. that was my own book that I couldn't do research on because my research was based on my brain of yeah. what I did growing up. So I, yeah. I, I think to your point, you know. That's how we have to let our parents off the hook, off the hook. Uh, Really, that's a a great line. I go to see a therapist once a week just because I think if you're a therapist and you work with other people, you need to resume and restore yourself so you can give to other people, right? Yeah. Years ago, I was complaining about my situation with my mom or whatever, where she didn't understand. And, and, you know, I was saying, well, why why, why didn't she get therapy or blah, 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 blah. And my therapist said to me, you know, Bernard, expecting your mother to have the wherewithal and the resources that you now have in the palm of your hand with your phone would be like expecting George Washington to know how to operate Wi-Fi. George Washington <laughs> would like it's not right, part of exactly. his, it's not part of his existence. Can't even think about what? that. Can't even yeah. fathom, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think we need to think about that when we think about our if there are any kids listening or watching. When we think about our parents, like guess what? Your parents are actually human beings that have made mistakes. Uh, right, and, right, and, and you might have that stuff in the palm of your hand with your phone, and you might know what being triggered or trauma or you know these things that we commonly use in our vernacular nowadays, but maybe they don't, and maybe you can't cut the mom and dad some slack, but maybe you can cut the in my case the Susan and the Bernard seniors some slack and see them as a human being and not just mom and dad. So right, right. Well, I got like maybe one, one, one or two questions left, and it's really about it's really more again about what to expect. What what can we expect? Uh, and learn about you and your book moving forward. Like, hey, maybe a, a great book would be like, hey, get off the hook, mom and dad, or whatever it's mm-hmm. going to be. But what do you, mm-hmm. what's, what you're going to do now? What does your your journey look like next, you know, six months to a year with not mm-hmm. just your book, but your speaking engagements and the things that you can do? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me say first, because you're a believer like I am, the book is great and the speaking engagements are great and the work that I do as a clinician are great, but they really... This is a calling for me to do what God has tasked me to do. And I think the, the book and stuff are just are, are vehicles for me to do that. Um, of course, I've got to hold the book up, but <laughs> they're, they're just, they're, they're, and that was, you know, that was a little plug. But honestly, these things are just uh, a means for me to get that out, which I didn't have when I needed it. And so somebody, some little boy, some 11 year old in the project somewhere will hear or read or Right. And so when you talk about what am I doing next in, in my career, listen, I was a very happy six figure making flight attendant for Delta Airlines when God called me and said, you need to be doing stuff to help people on a larger scale. And my response was, surely by the time we land, you will stop telling me this stuff, God, because I don't want to hear it. I'm, going, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get to L.A. to my layover. I'm not trying to do this. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so some of the things I'm doing next is uh, to, 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 to further that message and to answer that call is I'm giving a talk in New York um, with, with some folks about the same thing, the only thing wrong with you and how we can improve and transform relationships. Uh, my understanding of it is that the mayor of New York is going to be there. I'm doing Oh, a, awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I'm doing a, a webinar for the U.S. Nanny Association for nannies, persons who are nannies, and also parents. 
so that they can close the divide and understand each other a little better. Um, so I'm up to a lot of things right now and I'm excited about that. And I'm also working in two separate counties here in the DC area uh, as a clinician in mental health, helping folks who are affected by mental health issues and substance abuse issues. So I got a lot going on. Um, wow, you so certainly do. When I'm not eating ice cream in bed, watching uh, reruns of Charlie's Angels, I am uh, <laughs> <laughs> out here. Trying, uh, the, the 1976 Charlie's Angels, to be exact. Oh, they, oh yeah, uh, you got to go old school. Yeah, you got to go you old got, school, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you don't know how beautiful Farrah Fawcett is, you can live yeah. on a rock. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you got the calendar. You, you still got oh, the calendar in the background. The calendar, oh my goodness. Anyway, I digress. But yeah, so those are some of the things that I'm up to. Just, just being obedient to what God is telling me to do. And, and try to get the message out to let people know that there's nothing wrong with them and that we can still improve on wherever we are in life. Um, so that's what I'm up to, Mark. And I, I appreciate you having me here, man. Yeah. So what's your what's your one final thought, Bernard? And and what do you want to leave our listeners with today? Is, do you have a website that we can go to? Or is it really the focus on the book through Amazon that you're reaching out to people and and, and how to get them squared away? Because, you know, that's my goal and your goal is to is to share share mm -hmm. experience with people. Mm -hmm. Some people like, you know, and to you, some people probably love your book. Some mm -hmm. people probably go, I'm not reading that book. Now I got friends of mine that love what I do. They're like, mm -hmm. Mark, I am not going to read that book. Mm -hmm. I, I'm letting you right now. I like this, just read a chapter. Mm -hmm. And and I, I said to one friend of mine, are you afraid to read the book? Mm -hmm. Are mm -hmm. you afraid to read the book? Because it might expose some of the things that you do that mm -hmm. you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And I've known this guy 30 years. So he, and he, he's like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, you know what I mean by that? You know, <laughs> we share, we shared enough experiences together about our kids that you might read that one chapter and you go, yep, that was me. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I would hope, I would hope that, that, that if you can save that one child or mm -hmm. if you can uh, ch change that relationship between the parent and the child mm -hmm. or help out with the clinicians or help the therapist go, Hey, you know what? Here's another tool or here's mm -hmm. a guy that's doing some stuff on YouTube or in speaking engagements that you really should engage with. You know, mm -hmm. is, is that, is that part of what you're trying to come across and go, this is my next part of my journey. Yeah. This is my well, last thought. Let me be honest with you, man. If, if, if you don't have to, let me tell your audience and I'm going to break it down in Detroit vernacular. <laughs> you ain't got to, you ain't got to buy my book. You ain't got to listen. And I mean the word ain't. Yeah. Uh, you ain't got to do nothing that, but, but please do something. Please read Les Brown. Please read um, Dr. Phil. Please take a moment. Please maybe look into invest in the, a therapist of your own. My belief is that the way to heal and make things better for our children is to take care of ourselves. One of the best things my parents did would let, was let me know that they were actual human beings that have had problems of their own. So I would love for you to go pick up my new book. The only thing yeah. wrong with you is that you think something's wrong with you. That would be great. Um, that's available at Amazon and that's all, also available on my website, Bernard Owens Media. Uh, it's bernardowens.media, Bernard owens with an s dot media if you're interested in the book or speaking engagement but at the same time i gotta say i'm called to do what i'm called to do and if you don't hear the message from me my prayer is that you will hear a message of of, of hope and encouragement and improvement on who we are and our relationships from someone uh in some way because um, there's nothing wrong with you. And I don't want to suggest that you need to do any of those things because there's something wrong. I'm suggesting that maybe there's a slightly better way to do things in your life. And so whether that's through me or through somebody else, my prayer is that you'll, you'll follow that instruction. All right, that, that's, that's awesome, Bernard. You know, I, again, you know, I want to thank you, you know, for coming to our podcast today. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, know our, I know the parents that I deal with and the people on my podcast that follow me, you know, they're always... I, I'm a big research guy. And like I've mm -hmm. said before, every time I would do something and whether it was a baseball coach, a football coach, a basketball coach, soccer coach, uh, track and field coach, whatever I did with parents, they would always ask me questions. And I would always, I'm the research guy. I'm like, let me go find that out for you and do the mm -hmm. research. So I, I believe this is my, my personal, my personal opinion. I believe that the young kids of today, and I mean, kids I train, but 
the, the kid who's never going to be a basketball player, the kid that's going to be a band player, or maybe the kid that's by himself. And you know what? You and I see those people. We saw them in high school. You and mm-hmm. I saw you know, the certain kids who were doing different things in grade school mm-hmm. and middle school and high school, the, the loner, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if we can touch those people, just one of them, mm-hmm. you know, and have that aha moment, I think that's what the calling that you and I have and others from God is like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love Tony Robin's story because he talks about, you mm-hmm. know, he was in poverty. He had four mm-hmm. different dads growing up. And, you know, his goal right now is to feed one billion families mm. because some stranger came to his house on Thanksgiving Day and said, hey, here's some here's some food for you for Thanksgiving, because all they were going to have was water and saltines for Thanksgiving. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so his 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 outreach, if you will, was to say. I want to feed a billion. Fam- I think he's got 935 million families he feeds. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. through through his actions. So again, all those things that we shared, you know, 11, 12 years old, 20 years old, they come back and we can do two things with them. Mm-hmm. You know, we can say, I'm going to follow God's plan and I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my own mm-hmm. journey. I'm going to I'm gonna have a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reach out to a, a, a Rob Cosberg, who is, you know, a, a great guy that has done hundreds, if not thousands of people to help out with mm-hmm. his BSP publishing and through that helped you get with Amy mm-hmm. and through that probably other avenues. So mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, it, to your point, if, if only we will just reach out to the platforms that are available, mm-hmm. right. And podcasting and audio books and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think that what you bring to the table from the mental health standpoint and mental awareness standpoint Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing thing. And I, I, I'm very humbled to have been part of it and have met you and, you know, whatever I can do as I move down the journey with my own friends and family mm-hmm. and everything else. Uh, I, I would love to be able to do it. And by the way, our my, my new daughter-in-law is doing her PhD uh, on PTSD uh, oh, wow. awareness mm-hmm. at Ohio State University. And our son's doing his PhD at Ohio State University as well. Mm-hmm. And there are two different people. She was mm-hmm. the one who got picked for, you know, last for kickball. Our son was always the first to get picked for kickball, you know? Okay. So <laughs> those dynamics themselves is, is pretty crazy. It's like, it almost reminds you of my wife and I, you know? Right. Right. So t- t- I, I, again, I appreciate the time you spent with me and, yeah. I, and I, I look forward to our relationship and I, I hope you have an awesome day and everybody out there. As I finish this, please go to Bernard's website, go to his media, reach out to him, go get his book. And then for all of you who are on my podcast, please remember to don't outkick your coverage and you guys have an awesome day. Again, Bernard, thank you very much for joining us here at the Kicker Zone and please don't outkick your coverage and have an awesome week ahead of you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right, brother. All right, God bless. See you, Bernard. All right, brother.